0: Talk and Power, your motorsport and motoring radio show. Now on 88.5 FM, the valley comes alive. And podcasting
1: across iTunes and talkinpower.com.au.
2: All right, and Power podcast episode 117, rocketing, rocketing Along. And we've got some great guests in the studio. I'm joined by co-host Todd Brinkworth. He's over there. And I've got with us Jared McLean, or better known as J Mac, and James MacDonald. Hey guys, thanks for joining us today. Great to be here. Thanks, Nick. It's it's a pleasure having you guys here. I know we've had we've spoken with James before, and we've been you know crossing paths over the years. We did hard a, to uh, avoid each other, isn't uh, it? It is really mm. when you think about it. But hey, we did a quiz. Remember the quiz we did with uh, <laughs> the the pod filter? Oh, that's so. is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was the last time we were on a
0: podcast together. That's a few years ago now, mm. a couple of years ago. If I remember correctly, um, yeah, Department of Drift actually won that one. You did, yeah, we yes. did. And yeah. then we uh, went out on a high and disbanded the podcast shortly <laughs> after that.
2: <laughs> we did another quiz a few a year later, and we lost that one as well, didn't we, Todd?
0: Uh, we lost that one pretty badly, actually. Yeah, that one was. Terrible. I think I dark I dark horse the first one, but the second time was no good. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I blame Zoom
2: for the second one. Yeah. We, we did it over Zoom. I was not
0: about the Italian sausage that was hanging in the ceiling.
2: Yeah, I know. No, Dad had just done them. Well, we had just <laughs> done them the week before. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, I digress. Hey, guys, it's great to have you here. Uh, on this podcast, you guys are representing the Writers Action Group of Western Australia. That's right. Doing some magnificent work. So before we get into the nitty gritty, tell us a little bit about the Writers a- uh, Action Group and uh, what you guys are, are fighting for.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, we're we're a very new group. We've only been uh, sort of all together and uh, and working towards the goals for a couple of months now. Um, but uh, we, we formed together out of a I guess a desire to work with the community and uh, and work towards a common goal of uh, raising the profile of motorcyclist rights in Western Australia.
2: Mm. And it's very important, isn't it, the work you're doing as well? Because um, you know, a lot of motorists these days. Some of the statistics we'll go through shortly, but some of the 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 incidence of accidents is is quite a portion to the motorist of a vehicle. uh, When we look at when we drill into the details, we'll get into that shortly. But um, so the work that you're doing is 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 very important. And I must say, I I, you know, it's it's great to have you two guys in uh, representing the group.
1: Yeah, I mean it's kind of a, a, I guess a war on two fronts in in, in a sense because uh, one obviously safety is really important um, to to a lot of motorcyclists and we don't want to see anyone killed or seriously hurt on the roads. Uh, but we also need to protect our rights uh, to to personal choice as well uh, when mm. when we're out on the roads. So um, you know, being able to to be there and choose the sort of bike you want to ride and the sort of gear you want to ride ride when when riding and and being able to choose something that's appropriate for the style of riding that you have um mm. you know there's quite quite often you know there's a there's a one size fits all paintbrush that gets applied to motorcyclists which doesn't always stack up
2: you know th- to be honest with you james i'll be 100 percent honest with you I-, I had that mentality as well mm. so i'm i'm not a, i don't ride motorbikes i i've never ridden motorbikes before uh, on farm yes i grew up in a market garden but that doesn't count <laughs> <No>. so <laughs> So w- the point that I'm trying to make is that the layperson probably thinks that hmm. um, one size does fit all. So that's why it's important that you guys come on here tonight and explain. Now I've got a few questions for you. I ask you when, when it's the appropriate time, sure. uh, just to explain because to the layperson, um, I would I would think that it does one size does fit all. But we'll, we'll get to that a bit later. One of the things that I've always noticed with um, campaigns, we'll call them, TV campaigns, we always paint the motorcyclist as the, the campaigns pitched at the motorcyclist. Mm. I seem to remember a campaign, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, not that long ago it looked like some sort of black kryptonite growing out of the road or some. <laughs> it was a black, but yeah. that was pitched at the motorcyclist. Yeah. do you think that we need to change the way we think and start pitching that the, the message to the the motorist of motor vehicles instead
1: um, I guess it's a it's a tough one to, to say um, y- yes definitely uh, where all of the belief that a riders do all that they can or as much as they can to to not get hit or uh, to, to crash but um, also when when we're thinking from a Public safety standpoint, the the rider is the easiest target group to to market towards because they're the ones most likely to change their behaviour because they're the ones that'll be most affected. Um, so that that's why you see advertising campaigns like that which are focused towards the motorcyclists changing their behaviour. And yes, to to a point, um, it, it will be more effective than a public safety campaign targeted towards car drivers to, to look twice for bikes or things like that mm. but uh, it, it's uh, and we'll probably talk about this mm. in a moment but it's not the main issue that's facing motorcyclists
2: yeah yeah no yeah okay no we'll, we will get to that um one of your aims is to be collaborative active on social media so tell us a bit about the group it's not a it's not a formal uh group with a constitution and uh and uh incorporation correct me if i'm wrong it's it's a uh, more of an informal group you do have a president but yeah
1: yeah uh, actually funny you mentioned that because um we, we've just taken steps towards uh incorporating uh, officially okay. um yeah. although yeah we, we started off as a, a non-incorporated body and uh, uh we're, we're just a facebook group for getting people's opinions and thoughts and ideas mm-hmm. uh, but uh, it's something we're currently looking into yeah
0: yeah okay we've found that um Social media is, is the battleground that a lot of these initiatives are, are fought over and lost on and, and I think one of the biggest things that motorcyclists, not just in Western Australia but around the country, around the world, have really been struggling for is to, to be consultant um, and there's been initiatives, there's been campaigns, if you want to call them that, that have claimed to have, have consulted the, the general motorcycling public among the rest of the, the motorcycle or motoring population but the to be honest the the outreach has been frankly pitiful mm. um, and that is something that we as a, as a group are looking to address and try and hold these bodies uh, accountable to, to make sure that we are actually consulted uh, if if they want to go out on a limb and say that they have consulted the general motoring population, we want to make sure that we're we're out there in that mix.
2: Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That no, certainly. No, I know. I understand that. There's a couple of things here that you brought to my attention that I, I wasn't aware of. Um, before we get into that, let's just have a quick chat about Smidsey. Mm. Sure. Sorry, mate, I didn't see you. Mm-hmm. So that's what the, the acronym stands for? Yes. S-M-I-D-S-Y. Sorry, mate, I didn't see you. Tell us a bit. That is a that is a well-documented phenomenon, if I said that word correctly. <laughs> you certainly <laughs> did,
1: yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's uh, there's all sorts of different theories behind what causes it, um, but I guess it, it all boils down to a, a lack of attention on our roads and mm. uh, a, a focus on... Other tasks uh, quite often is, is usually the, the root cause of that.
2: When you say other tasks, you're referring to
0: potentially mobile phone use? Yeah. or oh, I mean, anything, good, all sorts of things. You know, anything be, that takes your attention yeah. off your surrounds and the, the situations going on around you.
1: As simple as, you know, what, what am I going to have for lunch today or hmm. I'm late for the meeting and just, you know, mind elsewhere.
2: Would late model cars be have an influence there?
1: Uh, it's good question i don't know i mean it, it's probably too early to tell the the total difference that that we'd experience from that but uh i guess with the the advent of um, all of these rider driver aids i should say um you know cross traffic alerts and things like that it'll probably it'll probably assist riders because mechanical vision mm. sees things differently they don't have the inattentional blindness that drivers do which is human error yeah. And, that, and that's the, the the majority cause of motorcycle fatalities in western australia and in fact throughout most of the world is is driver error from inattentional blindness
2: hmm. yeah yeah so i'm the only reason why i say that is I, I've, I've always felt that you know android carplay or android whatever that one's called and apple carplay hmm. is really i mean you get your map up on this on the dash there as well google it's its default is google maps and i think yeah, it's for it's fraught with danger. I mean, it's great to have in the vehicle, but it is fraught with danger. And I can, I don't know if there's a correlation. You, you guys would probably know um, a bit more about that. We, we're going to take a short break here shortly, but when we get back, I want to talk about the case study regarding uh, John. Um, so that that's really important. We need to we need to talk about that. So we'll have a quick break here, and uh, when we get back, we'll talk about the case study. Um, that you guys have, have researched. Okay, Talk and Power Podcast, episode one hundred and seventeen. We're on eighty-eight point five FM, where the valley comes alive, and podcasting on
0: iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify.
2: Soundcloud. I haven't
0: tested you for a while, have I? No. Why? I'm just saying I've tested you for a while what else we put. I think that's about it for now, isn't it? Yeah, I yeah, think that's yeah, it.
2: Go. It goes out wherever you get your podcast yeah. from, we're there. So and your website too. Yeah. yeah talkingpower.com.au. Yeah, there you go. Thanks, James. You can get <laughs> there. Before we went to the break, we just said we'll have a uh, wanna have a talk about the case study you've you've done here. sadly, this gentleman, John, passed away from a motor vehicle accident. I was amazed by the outcome of that of that um the the driver that was at fault there can you tell us a little bit about that then it's a case study that was some time ago well sometime it was only two years ago wasn't it or
1: three years ago yeah i mean it's it's only recently uh, i guess been been published um and, and gone through the uh, I guess the legal system, so to speak. Um, so it, it was yeah, it was a few years ago now. Um, but uh, oh, sorry, it was only June. 20- no, it's a year ago. Sorry, yeah, I, yeah, yeah it's a about year long ago. ago. Yep. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, it's only just recently, I guess, come to public uh, mm. view. So um, we th- this this case study. Uh, I'll stress is is not an isolated incident. This sort of thing happens every day, just about. Mm-hmm. Um, in in actual fact, I chose to ride my bike to work today because it was the first fine day we've had in ages, and uh, I got pulled out on um, mm. just you know going down Manning Road, doing the speed limit, nothing else. Car just comes out, doesn't mm. look. Yeah, got a slam on the brakes. So you know could have quite easily not made it here tonight, mm. and and it's just as simple as that. Um, you know you don't have to be doing anything wrong. I know there's there's a I guess a, a camp of people that see motorcyclists as hoons or louts or larricans or whatever that are, you know, putting their own lives in danger and you know, they, they see a you know, a bike that's making, you know, loud noises as they go splitting up the freeway sort of thing and uh, and, and yes there is an element of that. Mm. Um it's not necessarily I guess the the issue that a lot of people can see it as um, of course it gives them a fright and it gives them a negative opinion towards motorcyclists mm. but uh, for the most part the vast majority of motorcyclists are all out there doing the right thing mm. uh, and, and looking after their own safety as well yeah, yeah. now in, in the case of John um, the I guess the, the issues we call to light here are it was a it was a sunny day there was no view obstructions there was no other mitigating factors, no alcohol, no drugs, um, no, no speeding, no, nothing like that. And the car pulled out on him, uh, and uh, unfortunately, there was a collision, and uh, and he did uh, unfortunately pass away. Now, what is the I guess the 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 biggest issue here for us is that. Um, Although that he had charges laid against him, there was no case, I guess, pursued by the, the prosecutor. Yeah, yep. So, so yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. There was no, there was no, yeah. So even though the police laid charges against the driver uh, following the collision, there was no, there was no, nothing was proceeded on with by the director of public prosecution. That that is mind blowing. What? what do you think would be the root cause of why the dpp wouldn't go after something like that
1: um there's there's all sorts of reasons i guess but uh i suppose the 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 main recurring theme that we're seeing is the the driver just made a mistake a momentary lapse of judgment and that's considered okay Mm. you know you can have an occasional lapse of judgment you might permanently disfigure or disable someone or they might lose their lives but it's okay because you made a mistake and that that's definitely the i guess the train of thought that a lot of the general public has you know it's okay to you know turn around in the car and uh, chastise your children that are in the back seat or it's okay to you know Reach down and grab something out of your bag, or it's okay to just quickly check that text message, even even mm. you know despite the fact of the you know the huge fines that are potentially in place. Mm. Uh, might I mention as well that all of these things are actually illegal. Mm. Um, you know they they're considered careless driving under mm. the uh, road traffic act and can carry significant penalties, um, mm. you know thousands and thousands of dollars or jail term. Uh, the only the only mandatory penalty, is a three month license suspension, and mm-hmm. quite often we see the the minimum, yeah, excuse me, minimum fines handed down.
0: Yeah, I yep. think, and um, quite often the the onus of responsibility is is hoisted onto riders. Mm. Um, or you choose to ride, you choose to uh, throw yourself onto this onto this machine, and you choose to take your take your risks um, every single time you you fire up your bike. Mm. Um, frankly that that's not quite good enough no Uh, i i can't fathom how anyone in their right mind can actually hold that opinion in in good faith it just doesn't make sense no it doesn't no
2: no do you i'm going to pose the question and you won't be able to answer this but i'm going to ask it anyway do you think if the it was another vehicle that had crashed it was two vehicles Mm. and do you think For argument's sake there was a fatality, do you think the result would have been the same in in terms of the DBP not pursuing? I
0: think you're right, it is difficult to answer that one. Yeah, Um,
2: you probably can't, I mean, but I I would suggest vehicle on vehicle there would be a case.
1: I mean there was a very recent example just last weekend in fact where a a car pulled out uh, on another car and uh, unfortunately one of the occupants has lost their life. Um, it's a, actually a, um, I guess, a, a well-known member of the motoring community. In actual fact, mm. um, mm-hmm. and it'll be, it'll be, I guess, not interesting. It's obviously tragic, yeah. um, but it, it'll be something that we're definitely following closely mm. to, to, I guess, contrast and compare mm. the, the differences there. But um, there's no, there's no straightforward answer. Obviously, every case has its own individual factors and and uh all sorts of things you know there's there's speed there's drugs there's fatigue there's inattention there's all of this stuff um so you know it's, it's very rare to find two cases that are exactly alike um and different penalties get handed down to different cases but uh, you know, i guess we can only look back on this evidence and in the case of john there was no no formal charges mm. uh, that that were proceeded with uh, in this example
2: The figure here that staggers me is this one I've highlighted here. 50.4% of motorcycle accidents are caused by drivers of other vehicles. And generally speaking, they're ones that do not hold a motorcycle license. That is a staggering figure.
1: Yeah, so uh, I will point out here that that statistic is from uh, a study called the Motorcycle Accident In-Depth Study. Uh, which was conducted in Europe. So this okay. is an Australian data, uh, however we've found from the, I guess, limited resources available to us in Australia that is consistent, uh, and, and certainly if we look at the areas in Europe that were surveyed for this study, um, they bear a lot of resemblance to the Australian, I guess, road layout and driver training and all of that, so mm. um, it, it, uh, it, it's not too far of a reach to say that figure would be very similar here in Western Australia. and. Uh, I guess the the major issue that we have is that the amount of data available to us is very limited, so yeah. we we can't conclusively say those statistics apply to us here, uh, but we're fairly confident that that is the case.
2: Yeah, yeah, but oh, that, that stick that figure staggered me. Really, is that is uh, you know it's not in the right proportion really, and it's it's, no, it's, not at it's all. yeah, it's, it's very high, and I wasn't aware of that either. So this is like, I mean, it's it's. A lot of this is um very new to me and i'm sure it was new for todd as well and i know i spoke with simon on the phone today and he was staggered by a lot of these these figures as well so
1: i mean you you all hear i guess the the major voice of road safety here in western australia um, is, is the government obviously mm. uh, and and they are always pushing on motorcycles need to take individual responsibility and motorcyclists need to slow down speed kills all of this when in reality the the results speak for themselves
2: yeah we should talk about that as well now while, while you mentioned the the government as well so they want to ex- explain what the government are, are trying to do here then in terms of um motor cap
1: sure so uh, motor cap or motorcycle clothing assessment program which is what it's short for is a um, I guess, an initiative that was started by Transport for New South Wales mm-hmm. and has been, uh, I guess, supported by various different road safety bodies around the country. Yep. Um, it, it's, it's not a bad program in the sense that when it was introduced, there were significant issues with other assessment programs around the world and it sought to fill a void that existed. Mm-hmm. Now, since then the European standards have been updated yep. and uh the gap that Motocap was filling is has, has dried up I guess, you know, yep. it is, mm-hmm. um you know, it's sort of serving a redundant purpose now. Um the the issue with continuing to pursue Motocap alongside the European standards is that you will have eventually, multiple standards which, A, cause confusion, and B, if there's low adoption, well, the, the government has already expressed interest in legislating the compulsory display of motor cap ratings in stores. Mm-hmm. And Jared can speak to this, obviously, but if you're implementing that sort of uh, mandatory display uh, at a storefront, that's going to increase costs or it's going to reduce choice. Mm-hmm. and increasing costs and reducing choice are inevitably bad for motorcyclists mm-hmm.
0: yep. yep one of the biggest things that we value is at the moment when the sort of not unregulated um, state of the market but um, we like having the ability to choose what we want to wear we like being able to buy something that doesn't necessarily have high vis flashes mm. um, across the, the front and back yeah um, I mean, high-vis in itself, there's, there's all manner of opinions and, and sort of research that's been done on the matter, which I'm not going to go into. But um, the, once you do um, place mandatory uh, signage and, and requirements um, coming from the motorcycle industry, yeah, we are only going to be able to order certain lines from certain manufacturers um and we're already doing this in a in a world market that's having a tough enough time as it is yeah. with supply um not being able to match demand L- imagine if we were to even further reduce the ability to supply mm. costs are going to go through the roof and a lot of the time people do make their gear choices based on cost mm. they will go for a 200 hundred dollar jacket um, that doesn't feature uh, some of the armor inserts or, or just has a, a basic foam um, padding um, in the elbows and the back protector as opposed to something a little bit more um, like a D3O mm. um, insert. It, it's just going to become so messy if we go down this path, if we find ourselves at this juncture.
2: Yeah yep no i understand that and i I completely understand tell us just for our listeners because a lot of our listeners won't understand um helmets are still that's, that's an Australian standard still? Uh,
1: not, not anymore. So the Australian standard for helmets was abolished uh, a number of years ago okay. um, in, in favour of the European standard. So yep. this, this was an absolutely uh, amazing development for, for motorcyclists because a, it increased the availability of choice and the locations that consumers could go to purchase helmets, uh, as well as um, obviously reducing costs by the, the higher availability.
2: So we're talking CE now?
1: Uh, yes, that's right. Okay, right up.
0: ECE, uh, yep.
1: European Certification
0: or yep. something. Yep. ECE 2205 is that what you will generally find on um, the majority of helmets. Yeah. The Snell uh, system became very, very muddied when they tried to um, bring in two levels of, of certification, one designed to directly match the e- the ECE 2205 and, and one to still stick to the Snell manner of testing. It has a lot to do with dropping helmets in a particular manner at a certain speed um, for the Snell certification, whereas the ECE deals a lot more with rotational forces and um, more so the um, impact skip bounce style of of accident that a motorcyclist helmet generally or a motorcyclist helmet generally goes through as opposed to um, like a a car, a Hmm. racing driver's helmet where the impacts are generally... Going to be the same side front yep. um, forwards back yeah okay mm.
2: that's probably something our listeners have never even considered those like myself that are that haven't ridden bikes or been exposed to bikes or grew up in that environment probably have never considered that the accident that you just said them where mm. they'll they'll come off the bike and they'll skid along the the bitumen. For, for a period of time and then hop skip and sorry for the mm. plan where it's not the right not the right terminology there but I understand exactly what you're saying but mm. a lot, lot of people wouldn't would just assume it's a sudden stop and that's what the helmet needs to protect you from but that's that is far from the case isn't it
0: mm.
2: yeah we'll take another short break here and uh, when we come back I want to talk high viz <laughs> so we'll take a short break here and we'll be back on 88.5 fm with the Talking power podcast right after this all right welcome back to the talk power podcast episode 117 we're joined with jay mac and james mcdonald from um, riders action group and uh, from oh, wa it's great to have these guys here talking all things motorbikes we probably don't focus on motorbikes enough so um I'm glad you guys came along tonight. But just before we went to the break, I wanted to talk high-vis. And in some of your data here or some in the commentary here, there's there's a belief that the high-vis doesn't work, or it, I may have said that wrong. Tell me, it 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 doesn't appear to make any difference to visibility, is, is that correct?
1: In, in a lot of research, it appears to have a very limited effect. Mm. Um, now, this is... Uh, again, like I mentioned earlier, due to a whole range of different potential reasons, and it's not exactly clear as to why. Uh, but certainly, one of the schools of thought is that the the prevalence of HIV is particularly um, over the last you know fifteen twenty years has made it to the point where. People don't see it anymore. Um, it's the, the same reason that they changed the reverse beep of a of a truck from a, a beep to like the white noise um, sounds like it's broken a croaker. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. because it's a new sound and people are going to go, oh, what's that? Mm. Uh, because people just got too used to the beeps and they were having accidents. And same same sort of school of thought for highways. Um, and in addition to that, um, we we are, we don't ride in a vacuum. There's all sorts of different signage and. Um, background colors to uh, the road uh, or I guess the road or road related areas. Yeah, there's mm. um, advertising on side of roads, there's businesses there's homes, there's the bright background of the sky if you're riding in the afternoon with the sun directly coming towards you well high vis is pretty ineffective at that sort of thing. Mm. Um, you know it, it can it can have effects and it's been found to have limited effect in, in almost every study uh, but uh, I suppose the the argument that we're, we're saying here is that um, we don't want high-vis to be seen as the catch-all solution. Yeah. Um, people are absolutely free to, to wear whatever they choose and we don't want to recommend anyone doesn't wear high-vis uh, because it, it does have a, a limited positive benefit, uh, but in most cases it's found to have no benefit at all.
2: Yeah, okay. No, no, I just needed to ask because I, yeah. some of, some people would find that would find that strange but I, I i'd take that on i, I mean i take that on face value i i when i thought about it I, you did have a a bit of an explanation there and i think you're right over the last 20 years high vis is everywhere it's at the
0: airport mm. it's at the shops it's, it's everywhere you go we now. we have become desensitized to it i've yeah. got a, a in a past life a background in construction work and you are hit with so much high vis so much reflective yellow tape um so many reverse beepers and buzzers and lights and beacons and somehow we still manage to to find ourselves having workplace incidents throughout the country and the world Mm. when we have swathed everything in as many different shades of of bright yellow and orange uh, that we can get our hands on yeah yeah no certainly i i um
2: understand understand I want to get back to motor cap then? You you mentioned before one of the things um, the minister uh, Paul Papalia, that's right, correct. He is trying to mandate that. In am I reading this correctly? He's trying to. Uh,
1: no, there's uh, the I guess the the public line from the road safety commission, road safety council, and the minister for road safety is that there's no current plans to uh, mandate motocap mm. um the i guess it's a it's an academic argument that we're making which we're using past experiences where the government introduces a new scheme or a new idea they let people use it if adoption is low will they look at other ways to increase the adoption so mm. if motocap isn't utilized the way the government wants it to be used well it's there's a potential in the future that they might say well let's say the signage has to be on display at uh, uh, stores and then, oh well, people still aren't using it. Well, let's make it mandatory in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. And that's it, it. It's not something that they are proposing to do at this point in time, at least publicly. Uh, but it's certainly something that could happen in the future.
2: Yeah. Okay. No, no. I just thought, I just thought would clear that up. That's all. Yeah. So, yeah. Sure.
1: Uh, and I guess um, to to clarify again why we. Don't want that, uh, and we don't want any uh, mandatory gear uh, laws at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is that different people ride in different ways? So, yep. you've got the the urban rider that rides at around you know 50 60 kilometer hour roads, very short distances, you've got the tourer rider who rides predominantly highway roads, uh, but usually very low impact very low chance of uh coming into collisions with others then you've got the uh, enduro and motocross riders and and all of that as well so throughout the different styles of motorcycle riding there's different gear that applies to different segments of that market
2: yeah so
1: you know in one in one case you might want to you might want gear that's breathable but has really good abrasion resistance if you're going mm. touring, yep. and you might be riding through all sorts of hot, cold weather. You want something that's quick drying, or you might be doing more not fast-paced riding on the road in, in that sense, but you might be doing more potential impactful uh, riding where you're riding through a lot of intersections in built-up areas and like a career, want, I guess. Yeah, a yeah, career or just you know general commuting and things like that. You might be you might drive. Drive down, or sorry, ride down Mitchell Freeway every day, and mm. um, you know you've got all of the merge points and things like that, and you want to have really good protection, mm. you want to have um, you know decent weather protection, uh, but the breathability is probably a secondary concern to you. So mm. um, I suppose the the limitations of MotoCap mean that if the system was implemented to make it mandatory, there would be an overall negative benefit towards yep. motorcyclists because they can't choose the sort of gear that
0: they want to ride. Yep. Riders lose the ability to target and specialise their gear to suit the style of riding that, that mm-hmm. they undertake, and that, that's essentially boiled down to as few words as possible. Yeah, okay. We wear what we wear because it suits mm-hmm. how we're riding. Mm-hmm.
2: No, no, I understand that. That's, a, that's, that's a, a comment.
0: I was about to say, someone that hasn't ridden for a little while but that has ridden bikes in the past... I've got three different helmets and two jackets, mm. and that's nice that's, a, to look. that's a very slim uh, slim line of apparel there, mate. That's yeah, but <laughs> again, I have a summer jacket, yeah. and I had a winter jacket, and I had different helmets depending on what I was riding. So it's yeah, it would be if you narrow it down, that would be very frustrating. Mm. So you also have to consider that okay, and let's let's say in a, a perfect storm of circumstance that yes, motor cap comes in. Um, the Australian market overall does not represent largest of percentages um, of the global riding population. So let's say a, a massive um, international brand like Klim. Klim do a whole range of touring specific gear that is very very high quality, um, but for them to go out send off the samples to get um, tested and, and approved for uh, any system, let alone motor cap, um, there's going to be a cost-benefit analysis that's going to be made and ultimately it's going to come down to the the manufacturer to go "Mm, do we really need to sell to australia do we really (laughs) need to import into australia do we really need to satisfy this new standard for this one country Hmm. really yeah yeah and that's going to happen because all of a sudden we've got um as as small on the international scale as it may be we have a um a, a very devoted group of, of touring riders who mm. now cannot, cannot source their, um, at least by any legal sort of means, um, cannot source their, their garment of choice. Yeah, yep. And no, no, you make a valid point there. That's that's
2: understand exactly what you're saying. Tell us a little bit then about the work that you guys are doing, campaigning for an amendment to the Road Safety Act. Tell us a little bit about that, because as it stands now if a motorcyclist is a rider is injured by careless driving um, it's a term of imprisonment of six months and is this right twelve thousand dollars is that that's what you got in the notes that's
1: yeah so uh, this this is back on the the Smitsy issue again mm. um, so again related to in blindness and careless driving um, That that's right that is the the maximum term uh and uh, yeah, six months or, or or the fine um however the minimum is only three month license extension mm. and almost almost always the the minimum term or very near the minimum term is imposed
2: yeah okay all right so you're campaigning to to have that to have that amended
1: Uh, in in the sense that not the not the maximum terms we think those are are, are quite sufficient Um, we're we're looking at uh, this is an academic discussion at this point uh, but we're looking at the the potential for being careless and causing a collision with a motorcyclist to be considered an aggravating circumstance so uh, just the same as cyclists are treated like a vulnerable road user group Mm -hmm. uh, as as much as there is um, quite public animosity towards them in a lot of cases Um, or pedestrians um, you know other vulnerable road users motorcyclists in effect are a vulnerable road user so uh, we we would like to see something that is imposed to make people pay more attention to what Mm. they're doing on the road and um back to what we were discussing at the beginning of the uh, evening here with the public safety campaigns focusing on motorcycles um a public safety campaign focused on car drivers paying attention to motorcyclists is going to have very limited effect unless there's consequences unfortunately that's the way the human brain works yep yep no completely agree
2: Here's a hot topic. We'll, we'll move on. It's a, This is a real hot one. I reckon the switchboard at 88.5 FM will light up once <laughs> this one comes on. Uh, the use of bus lanes. So you're advocating for the use of bus lanes. Yes. Explain a bit about that, because, I mean, in theory, I, I have no issue with it. I'm sure Todd has no issue with it, but I can tell you now there will be probably a list of 100 callers that that would have issue with that. I was going to say names then but I won't, we'll just move along. (laughs) But tell us a bit about that because I mean in theory that makes perfectly good sense to me. Yeah,
0: logic.
1: So uh, a bit of background first, in uh, 2016 I believe there was a discussion to trial Mm -hmm. motorcycles using bus lanes, Um, fast forward a couple of years there was a, a limited trial introduced on a, on a few streets. Uh, I think the first one was Beaufort Street, maybe. Yep. Uh, and then it was later expanded to South Street and a number of other streets around mm. uh, Perth Metro. Um, and this was, again, the idea is that you're getting motorcyclists out of the path of danger, mm. which is putting them in a bus lane, which is a less li- highly trafficked lane, uh, so that there is, again, less chance of being impacted by other road users. Now, Uh, This trial went on for about two years, and then following that, the Road Safety Commission, which was responsible for the trial, decided that they didn't want to proceed with implementing this change to the Road Traffic Act, which would allow, obviously, motorcyclists to to ride in bus lanes. Now, that was despite there being uh, only one safety issue throughout that entire two years. Um, that was attributed to a motorcyclist riding in a bus lane, Mm -hmm. obviously compared to all of the countless number of collisions and incidents that occurred Mm -hmm. with motorcyclists not using bus lanes. Um, So the reasons cited by the Road Safety Commission were two academic studies. Um, Now, the first academic study was a study based in France and they found issues with motorcyclists using bus lanes and cars turning from the regular lane across the path of traffic and colliding with a motorcyclist that way. Mm. So that wasn't an issue of the motorcyclist using the bus lane. That was an issue again of a other vehicle driver mm. not paying attention and cutting across the lane where there was a vehicle in that lane. Now, obviously the the laws are a bit different here in Australia. If you want to turn across a bus lane where you've got to go into the bus lane and then turn Mm -hmm. Um, so it's not exactly a comparable situation to to the France uh, situation Um, the second article that they cited was the rapid transit systems around the world and it was based in cities like uh, Bangladesh, Mexico, Sao Paulo uh, various other third world country cities Um, and the kicker of this one was that the study did not mention motorcyclists once in the entire document so there's some significant procedural issues that have gone on here relating to the trial and the subsequent decline of it Um, and we as a motorcycling community are asking for Properly measured response, mm. looking at the reasons why it was declined, yeah. and trying to trying to figure out, you know, because there, there's no the, even the even the studies that they quoted, there was no factual basis for saying that it couldn't happen.
0: Mm.
1: They've just said no
0: because they it's decided just, to. it wasn't applicable. Yeah, for the circumstances, it it just didn't make sense mm. whatsoever. The road systems are different uh, in the in the studies that they they use that they cited. The makeup of the 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 style of traffic, the proportion of bikes to to cars is is different, Um, and just it the mind boggles. Mm, It doesn't make sense. No, it It doesn't. doesn't. But somehow we we've missed this opportunity to effectively take a whole contingent of the motoring community and give them the opportunity to transit from A to B in a far far safer manner. It's like we we pardon me but we crack the shits at cyclists who ride in traffic um uh, when there's a perfectly good cycle lane trust me if motorcyclists had a lane to use um that was going to remove us from the um the the dangers of, of regular traffic um and it was still convenient and, and useful like the bus lanes we'd use it. Mm yeah yeah i actually didn't realize that the bus lane on
2: south street i'd go down that street quite often so the motorbikes aren't allowed in that bus lane anymore have that changed
1: not not since last year when they took the signs all down mm,
2: okay yeah. yeah that's that is that doesn't make a lot of sense i thought that one yeah okay yeah because i understand what you're saying as well like in a Australia, like that in particular that one on south street yeah, that's a quite a heavy road but if you're turning left you, you slide into that bus lane anyway, and it's, correct me if I'm wrong, it's even marked, like it goes, the lanes, that goes white prior to you slipping into the, uh, if there's a turn off coming up, it was somehow yeah. logical that you'd slip into that lane before you turned left. In I'm not, not overall
1: familiar with it, but uh, I believe the, the law says you can travel in a bus lane for up to 250 metres or maybe 200 metres yeah. Uh, yeah. prior to making a turn or after making a turn. So uh, there, there's definitely cause there for that. And you can't you can't just turn from the next adjacent lane mm. straight across into the road. No, no. You don't, you no. don't do that. No, no, no. <laughs> definitely no. not either. Well, some people happen. do, but yeah. that's another story. <laughs> that's another story, and, and that's, uh, that, that's a completely different. Uh, yep. I guess issue altogether, but um, uh, I guess the the one thing maybe if you're eighty eight point five FM listeners uh, that every motorcycle that you take out of the flow of traffic and put in say a bus lane or another another dedicated lane, well you're taking them out of the congestion. Mm. So you're reducing congestion by allowing this as mm. well. So there's yep. a, a an overall public benefit for getting motorcyclists out of the line of fire, so to speak. Yeah, mm.
2: yeah, yep. no, agreed, agreed. We will take a short. Break. We'll take a short break here, and we'll be back with more. We'll talk more about um, with JMac and James from Riders Action Group WA right after the break. Okay, welcome back to the Talking Power podcast, episode 117. We're joined by JMac from the Riders Action. Riders Action Group of WA and also James McDonald of the Riders Action Group in Western Australia. It's great to have you guys here. Now another thing we just spoke about you guys using the bus lane the other one that again makes a sense to me is the provision of parking on footpaths. I think that's a that's an excellent idea. Um, I didn't realize it's actually it's it's legal in Brisbane to do so so tell us a bit about that and uh, what what you what you're suggesting there.
1: Well, well again, um, you know this, this isn't something that we've spent a, a, an incredibly large amount of time on. This is just a, a nice to have sort of thing that we we would like to to talk about. Uh, obviously, our main priority is uh, is these big safety topics like Smidzy, But um, it, you're right in other in other jurisdictions around the country, there are provision for motorcyclists to be able to park on footpaths now. Uh, obviously, due to the diminutive size of the motorcycle, it's fairly low impact mm. uh, when, when this is done, particularly in CBD locations, which mm. have quite wide footpaths. Yeah. Um, and and again, the benefits here are uh, close by parking for, for motorcyclists who um, suffer from, I guess, increased rates of motorcycle theft, mm-hmm. um, as well as um, being able to cover your bike the shade of buildings and things like that and uh, um, we don't have a nice air-conditioned car to get into at the end of the day Um, you know we're a lot of us you know dressed up in full leather gear or uh, textile gear it doesn't always breathe the best and um, even breathable gear on a 50 degree day and you know Middle of January, February, um, in in rush hour traffic, it's uh, it's not the nicest thing. Uh, but a, a lot of us, uh, a lot of us that ride, particularly into the CBD areas, um, we, uh, we we ride because of a uh, again personal choice. Obviously, yep. we like riding, or uh, it might be a, a cost thing mm. entirely. Uh, I know the the costs of parking in in Perth City are quite uh, quite high. Um, and same with public transport as well, and, uh, and motorcycles are just a, an alternative means of transport and a, and a very legitimate form of transport, obviously. Um, so the, the idea from allowing the parking on footpaths is rather than taking away car bays, uh, we can just use infrastructure that already exists and it will have very minimal impact to uh, other users of the footpaths and, uh, and the surrounding road areas.
2: Yeah. You would know the data on this but I will ask it anyway. Um motorcycle theft. It's a real thing isn't it? I mean and and it's 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 very I don't think many people realize how easy it oh, I shouldn't say that but motorcycle theft like uh, Joe max come here tonight and we've we've wheeled the bike in to the to the warehouse not because it, it, it you made a very valid point because you just don't know it's it's quite easy to just walk away literally walk away with a motorcycle i know mm. they have locks and whatnot but yeah well, it, it's, just, it's a it's a
0: real thing isn't it just on that um coming from the position of a, a motorcycle salesman we make an incredible Um, number of sales of anti-theft devices, whether it's brake disc locks, whether it's chains, whether it's alarmed locks, um, bike covers, the whole lot. It's very, very often that we will actually ask a prospective customer, uh, do you have plans to, um, to secure your bike? Uh, oh yeah, I want to see what you've got, and nine times out of ten, you will actually make a sale. But it is very front of mind mm. for for customers, motorcycle riders, and and users that yes, we we have a vehicle that is much easier to um, to have pilfered than than your everyday car.
2: Yeah, yeah, most no, certainly, no, definitely. The other thing as well, uh, I know in recent times we've seen a reduction in. As as you know, James, you and I talked at Infinitum about this particular subject, but a, restri- uh, a reduction, sorry, in registration of motor vehicles for classic vehicles that were uh, produced n- before 1990. I'm not suggesting that's what you're suggesting to be the same thing here, but you make a very valid argument. If we're going to use some of that model. Uh, we, we could apply some of that to your next point as well, which was you 're going to campaign to have registration costs of bikes uh, bike uh, reduced in, in recognition of the fact that they their use wear and tear on the infrastructure in australia is is a lot is significantly less so tell us a bit about that what your train of thought there is
1: yeah again um, this isn 't something we 've pursued in, in depth, but uh, certainly there's been examples around the Uh, the country and the world of uh, cheaper registration costs for motorcycles. And uh, I guess the the main uh, reasoning behind this or the main argument for it is that motorcyclists or motorcycles serve a particular benefit to uh, road congestion Uh, accessibility of uh, buildings and things like that. So um, motorcycles already are cheaper than cars based on, because the the registration system in Western Australia is based on weight. Uh, Mm. So you've got per 100 kilograms, you pay a a fee depending on the type of vehicle. So um, there is a benefit as well, uh, but this is certainly something that gets um, asked about quite frequently uh, by the members of the riding public is, Mm. uh, you know, can can we see more? Uh, of a benefit to motorcyclists, and yeah. it's an it's it's a method or a mechanism to try and encourage more motorcycles to get on the road, uh, and the more people that get out of a car and get into a motorcycle, well, um, that serves to benefit the prevalence of mm. motor- motorcycles in in the in the state, which means that they're more front of mind for other drivers because yep. they see motorcycles more frequently. Mm. Um, it reduces congestion. It reduces. Um, you know, all of these, uh, it reduces pollution, reduces all of these other things that are um, that are good for the uh, government, or sorry, good for the state, I guess, in, yeah, the, in yeah, the whole.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, I think, you know, I, I can see, I can see tangible benefits there, uh, especially if we can get the uptake of, of motorcycles as well. I mean, Every every motorcycle purchased, correct me if I'm wrong. GST goes back to the federal government, and stamp duty goes
0: back to the state government. Correct me if I'm wrong. Three point one five percent stamp duty, ten mm-hmm. percent GST, adds up. Absolutely. Yep. Hundred percent.
2: Yep. So yeah, and and if we can, I think a lot of people lose sight of the fact that if you do offer them some sort of concession or benefit, we'll call it, on their registration, you might the uptake on it might be, you know, you will have an uptake in, in. Uh,
1: in yeah, well, that, that was it. our whole argument with concessions for classics. Yeah, I mean, the cheaper the rego, the more cars you're going to get out on the road, and the mm-hmm. better policy or public benefits overall. You know, we were talking about mm-hmm. uh, more classic cars at shows, and we're talking about uh, better benefits for for charities and things like that that, support, that are supported by the shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's certainly uh, I guess there's a, a similar... Uh, uh, Relationship that correlation yeah. between the the arguments there is that you know, cheaper registration equals more vehicles on the road, and more vehicles on the road has other, pol- uh, other public benefits.
2: Mm, yeah, most certainly, most certainly. Before we finish up, guys, tell us a bit about the Brown Review as well. I know I, you, you made mention of that as well. In in this is a staggering statistic. This one here, in 1990, Western Australia was the the second safest state in terms of for motorcyclists by 2012 we've become almost the worst so in your mind is that the road safety act not 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 working something not working there what what's caused us to go in in a in 22 years to go from being one of the best to one of the worst in Australia. Yeah. So
1: that, that statement there was a, it was an extract from the, the Brown Review, which was uh, published in 2015, uh, directed towards the Office of Road Safety at the time, which mm-hmm. was part of the main roads uh, department. And um, overall, that, that report was fairly scathing. Um, this uh, I guess this, this section was here for more general background of, uh, of some of the issues that we're seeing with our um, approach to to road safety, and we're we're seeing a lot of blockers from the uh, the organisation that's supposed to be for road safety. So um, yeah, there's. There's, there's obvious issues with the approach that we've taken towards road safety. Uh, yep. uh, I think earlier in the uh, in the document that I sent you, um, you, you might be able to see 74% of road fatalities in Western Australia in regional areas. Mm. Uh, but when's the last time you saw a public education campaign dedicated towards regional yep. road safety? Uh, there's, there's Roadwise, um, which is a, you know a, a travelling show, so to speak, um, which goes out into regional areas and talks about things like wearing your seatbelt and the importance of you know not consuming alcohol and, and all the the likes of that. Uh, but the, yeah, uh, I
0: remember seeing that when I was at school. Mm, yeah, it, it it's, it's was, been around
1: for a long. Yeah, time. Yeah, be, it's been around yeah. for a long time, and it's, it uh, road, roadwise serves you know quite mm. quite a very important um, purpose. So to say, I guess, uh, but the the vast vast majority of public money goes into metropolitan. Mm. um road safety uh campaigns that's where the most people are but that's not where the most of the problem is yeah uh, so yeah uh, i suppose um the the road safety issue more generally uh, is something that we're certainly concerned about um although what impact a group of motorcyclists is going to have on the overall road safety is um, probably quite minimal, but it's certainly important that people are educated and aware of these issues that we're facing.
2: Yeah. In in your notes here, you say on the road safety council. I may have this wrong, but it's made you need to have representation from road users in there. Currently, that's with the RAC.
1: Yes, at the at the moment, um, the road safety act uh, is legislated that there is one representative for road users, mm. uh, which is currently held by the uh, member of the Royal Australian Car Club, yeah. uh, or RAC. Um, there, there is no uh, scope, I guess, at the moment for any other road users to be represented. So um, the the Road Safety Council is is made up of um, predominantly government groups um, and in fact the groups that it's made up of are the groups that usually benefit from the money from the Road Trauma Trust account. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I guess i'm not i'm not accusing them of um corruption but uh, certainly there is a a, a, a huge uh, possibility for that to become the case and uh, that was highlighted by the independent review here by uh, by brown hmm. in 2015 um that he would like to see a lot more representation for user road user groups uh, yeah and and the recommendation was that the group as the Road Safety Council should be made up of predominantly civilian members rather than governmental members.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, I agree 100%. I was actually staggered by that, to be honest. I didn't believe, hmm. I didn't understand. Didn't realise, sorry, that that in terms of users, it was only represented by the RAC. And we're not suggesting that the RAC doesn't have the best interest of of motorcyclists.
1: No, but, uh, but- we're well, not, not suggesting anything like that. But what we are saying is that and what uh, Brown is saying, you know, we don't have to say it, is that when you have one representative for an entire road user group, well, they have to pick, I guess, the, the path of least resistance here um, in, in mm. essence. So that's yep. going to be who makes the most impact, and that's car drivers. Yep. They're the majority, vast, vast majority on the road, um, and the, the needs of pedestrians, cyclists, motorcyclists, and other, other road users, truck drivers, all of that gets somewhat sidelined yeah you know, i don't um, think they
2: have the best interest of all
1: those other groups at heart it's, it's an unenviable, with respect yeah, unenviable mm. job to try and be the mm. representative for all road users it's it's an impossible task
2: mm. yeah yeah especially even I'm, I'm not just talking about motorcycle i'm talking about heavy haulage mm. and and all sorts of yeah. all sorts of vehicles that aren't really the rac i don't think would be a good representative
1: let's put it that way yeah well it's not their target market it's not mm. their focus mm. and uh, and and that's that's fine but uh, we, we would like to see, and uh, again reflected by the Brown Review, we'd like to see a uh, more representative uh, approach.
2: Mm, yeah, definitely. Guys, we'll take another short break here, but when we come back we'll just um, we'll, we'll finish off. Uh, but yeah, take a short break here and we'll be back with more right after this. Okay, Talk of Power Podcast Episode 117. James is rocking the table there. <laughs> Sorry. He's getting all worked <laughs> up.
1: Yeah.
2: Before we finish up, Bank, tell us. We should have started off. You've, you've, you're back on. You're back. You're off the microphone now. You've yep. done. Is it two seasons or no, one? no? We've done one season. One season so of okay. drag racing.
0: Yep. Yep. At yep. Perth Motorplex.
2: Tell us tell us how that's going, because a lot of our listeners are drag racers, so they'll be interested to know how, how you went
0: this season. Oh, look, um, we had one race win,
2: yep. and
0: that was due to uh, a, a good friend and Pit Bay uh, partner, Simon Garbutt, having a mechanical on the start line. Mm. Um, we still celebrated like we'd won the championship, yep. <laughs> um, because your first win, especially for it to come in your rookie season, when you've got people that have been racing for... For 10, 15, years, 20 years mm. telling you I didn't have a race win for at least 3 seasons and mm. you've nailed one or you've been gifted one um, in your first season, it was uh, was pretty cool the bug definitely hit and uh, we have upgraded from the Pro Bentley CBR 929 and are now going to be riding the um, 2004 Kawasaki ZX10 Yep. still in modified bike, yep. but um, we're, we've set our sights to go almost a full or over a full second quicker mm. um, on this bike. So yeah, okay. it's, uh, it's got a pedigree. It's come all the way over from Queensland. Um, and yeah, we've nailed down a few uh, new sponsors, biggest of which is um, actually my current employer, Savage Motorcycles. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we've got a couple of others in the pipeline that we're yeah looking yeah. to add to the fold no it's, it's awesome hmm. mod bike i don't think people realize how difficult mod bike is oh it's hard yeah it's yeah. very hard we yeah. had our first season and um we, we've laid a lot of really good groundwork we've we've ironed out some kinks and now we're ready to actually go fast and contest and be a force to be reckoned with
2: yeah yeah and you know full fields as well in mod bike so mm. it's no there's no you know none of this four car field business so nope. you know it's it's often there's like 20 over 20 sometimes usually 20 to
0: 25 yeah yeah, yeah.
2: bikes in more yep. bikes so it's uh, it's it's competitive out there mm, absolutely and I uh, know another guest on the podcast, Luke Newhoff, kicked off in Mod Bike. Wait, Super Street, Mod Bike? I can't remember which one he did first. but and one Luke of
0: Luke the... was, I'm pretty sure he was Mod Bike. Yeah, yeah. Pretty sure.
2: He dabbled in Super Street as well for a little mm. while, but he'll be listening. He'll correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, he'll correct both of us. <laughs> <laughs> That's I mean. mm. yeah. Yeah. So you're enjoying, you're enjoying the, the shift from, you were in the commentary team for mm. many years. At Ten the, years. Yeah, I was going to say, did a a whole decade
0: at the Perth Motorplex, and um, then yeah, decided enough was enough. I hadn't actually raced, so I figured I was going to um, do something a little more than the the old Whoop Ass Wednesday, and jumped Mm. on and uh, absolutely loved it. Yeah, Um, a lot of support from good friends and and um, my partner Zoe and. We're ready to come back do it again it's oh, good no that's good to hear It's mm. good to hear. tell us a bit of
2: some of the other things you're doing you did you did a little bit of commentary work you do a lot of comments a little bit a lot of commentary mm. work around around the state not even around the nation as well you've done a lot of a mm. fair bit of work
0: so tell us what you're well, up to at the moment it's it's a very it's a very motorcycle centric um uh sort of scope of work really i on the state um championship uh, motocross Announcer. Yep. Uh, both for juniors and for seniors. I do a lot of work for uh, Dirt High Promotions, which is the the, the Management 15,000 mm-hmm. um, and uh, the very successful Brookton Pony Express Series uh, for Willie Thompson. Um, Pre-COVID, I was I was a pit lane reporter for the High Tech Oils Drift All Stars Series, which was the closest thing that we had to a national drift series. Yep. As well as at that time, I was also doing a lot of commentary for uh, the local drift series mm-hmm. uh, for both clubs at the time. Um, since pulled away from that um, also a lot of work with Supermoto WA yep. um, I'm currently the uh, one of the announcers for the motorcycle uh, racing club of WA for their state championship series um, unfortunately I'll miss round 4 of the, the AGV helmets um, state road racing championships probably back for round 5 Yep. and uh, for the rest of the season done it all, it's magnificent give mm-hmm. it a shot
2: you've done really well you've done oh, yeah. very very well so uh congratulations to yeah. you and uh we'll be watching mod bike very closely this mm. season oh, watch yeah. me
0: make a ham-fisted attempt to try and get some points we'll see how we <laughs> go Yeah, <laughs>
2: no, it sounds good sounds good hey james what are you up to these days you still yeah i know you keep keeping busy yeah. any other things you're working on at the moment
1: sure um um we're, we're just going through a whole lot of legislative change at work at the moment so got my my head down with uh learning the ropes all of that and mm. uh where we're just working along with uh, with the usual events that we're up to and, uh, and and doing the best we can for the community is as, as always. That's the the goal.
2: For those that didn't put two and two together, it's James McDonald from Shannon's that we're talking with at the moment. But he's he's not representing Shannon's tonight. He can be if he wants to. It doesn't worry <laughs> me. But he's representing the Riders Action Group of WA along with Joe Mac tonight. And it was great to have you guys in. Tell us um, the Facebook page. I've been on there. It looks great. Uh, where can we find Further information, or is just the the Facebook page at this stage?
1: Yeah, just just the Facebook page at this stage, uh, which you can find at uh, regwa.org mm-hmm. um, and it redirects there. Um, otherwise, you can email us. The details, are, contact details, are all on our page, or you can message us on Facebook as well. Um, is is an option. Um, we we're working towards um, you know as many different things as we can um, with the with the limited resources available to us at the moment. So. Um, you know we, we, we have to make some I guess administrative decisions to focus on what's really important right now yeah uh, but uh, certainly keep an eye out for us for, for things in the future and if you've got ideas suggestions or thoughts comments as a, as a motorcyclist here in WA we'd love to hear them
0: yeah I think that's the the real point of what we're trying to do we're trying to make as much noise as we can to uh, and make sure that we are trying to be as collaborative and consultative as, as possible to to actually go that one, two, or, or five steps further than mm. the people who have gone before us and actually try and source um, the true opinions and, and, yeah, needs of the people that are out there.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, you're doing a magnificent job. I'll take my hat off to you guys and uh, I wish you all the very best. And, um, and one other how do you find the time? I
0: don't,
2: <laughs> and you guys work full-time, <laughs> racing, common, especially you, Joe, mate. I mean, how do you...
0: It's, it's, it's tough. The calendar is... Pretty much blocked in. There's there's a whole bunch of colours and and I don't even know what goes on. Luckily, I've got a wonderful girlfriend who handles most of it for me, and I just be like, "So, what are we doing this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> right, we're going to Chidlow. Off we go."
2: <laughs> and even you, James, as well. Like every weekend, I, I don't think people realise like the the commitment that people at Shannon's do mm-hmm. on weekends. Yep.
1: Well, uh, my my calendar looks like about fifty odd events a year. Yeah. Um, so, and a lot of those are multi-day events, and mm. preparation that goes into that. So, uh, certainly, I'm all over the place and uh, don't really have many weekends to myself. But uh, that's all part of the, I guess, the the passion that uh, drives us behind uh, Shannon's. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we, we do something we love, and uh, and it's great. And uh, uh, you know, the the fact that Shannon's affords me the ability to be able to do, um, you know, administrative stuff like this for for Ragua. Um, Occasionally, uh, as, as part of work time because uh, Shannon's again recognises the importance of uh, protecting motorist rights and motor enthusiast rights in, uh, in throughout the country. Mm. Tell us quickly, your bikes as well, just mm. quickly, tell us... Um, well, at the moment, I've only got one uh, two bikes. Um, my uh, my Yamaha that I had was stolen. So speaking about motorcycle theft, uh, yeah, and they broke through the glass and, uh, and that's and right. Walked away about with that. it. I can't uh, believe it.
0: Yeah, WI set up as a motor it, it was set up yeah. as a
1: Motar, mm. yeah. um, so yeah, that was uh, that was a bit heartbreaking because I really loved that bike and I put a lot of hours into it, um, along with actually one of the guys that's on the management group. He helped me rebuild it and uh, and big bore it and uh, do all sorts of things. So it was uh, it was a great bike. But um, at the moment, my my main rider is a KTM six hundred and ninety SMCR, which is a factory supermotard. Uh, I like the supermotards. It mm. uh, allows you to have a bit of fun on the road in terms of you know you can. Throw it into corners and that sort of mm. thing, and you know, not worry too much about uh, crashing it or um, going too fast and that sort of yep. thing. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a really nice sort of um, riding style, uh, I guess you could say. Uh, my other bike's just a, a Yamaha R3, uh, mm. which is just uh, uh, kind of belongs to my missus, but I get on and ride it occasionally. No, mm. so. oh, that's alright <laughs>
2: <laughs> Joe, Mc
0: tell us, run, run us through your. I know you've got a bit of an elaborate <laughs> collection there. All right, so we have the the Posty Posty bike, the race bike that yep. I um, try and find time to race with Supermoto WA as part of their Posty Bike Championship. We've got the 2000 um, CBR 929 Fireblade. That's all done up in Auto Pro Bentley colours because that was my rookie race bike. Hmm. We've got the ZX10, so that's got a uh, an extended swing arm, air shift, um, Shinko rear tyre on it, um, Power Commander 3 with a tune and a Sidewinder exhaust. Where my ride that I'm on tonight, I'm on a a CRF 450 uh, motard, um, which is a whole heap of fun. Again, you can yeah get up to the speed limit fairly quickly, and and kind of runs out of puff shortly after that, so you're not really sort of pushing it absolutely crazy but um that's uh mine i've got my old man's early 2000s kx 252 stroke sitting in the shed at home at the moment i've also got a, uh, a 1200 bandit um, for some of the longer country rides and my girlfriend has a little uh, neo retro sort of a suzuki tu 250x it's a perfect learner bike i occasionally steal that and ride it to work i think mm-hmm. i Oh, gee, I think I did maybe 250Ks on about 7 litres worth of fuel. And, um, yeah, it's just a great little commuter bike, little EFI 250 single-cylinder. And um, my girlfriend's got a a little Yamaha DT230. And uh, hopefully nobody knows where I live um, (laughs) because maybe I need to come and talk to you about taking out a policy, James. Mm. It's actually quite concerning to hear him rattled off like that. (laughs) Far I tell you what, right, that is an extensive uh, yeah, list there, but it's pretty. Yeah, yeah, we've got, that, a, that, got that, a leg in just about every single camp, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Except for cruisers. I can't do cruises. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but that one you came on tonight—that's that—that's magnificent. That does mm. look like a lot of fun. Yeah, It's awesome. Yeah.
0: Um, a cool thing about them, and the CRF's a heavy bike to begin with, but um, we're talking sort of 130, 140 kilos. Mm. Whereas what's a, a middle weight uh, sports bike? We're talking. 180, 180, yeah, yeah, about 180 kilos. Um, I'll be pushing out probably about 55 horsepower, but with so much less weight. They're just awesomely Mm. responsible, and you can do so much with gearing Mm. on them, make them behave how you want.
1: For those not familiar with a supermotard, if you want to equate it to a car, it's probably a little bit bit like a Hyundai XL. So there's not much you can do to really damage them all that badly, Mm. so you're not Mm -hmm. really concerned about breaking them, Um, and they're not that fast, um, but they have got a bit of acceleration behind mm. them as well, and they're not that heavy, so mm-hmm. um, you know they're they're a bit of an all round fun car, and that's why you know you see Excel Racing Cups and things yeah. like that nowadays.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a good analogy, James. Mm. Thanks for that. Mm. All right, guys. Well, look, thanks for joining us on the podcast. It's great to have you here. It's great to see you again, Joe Mac, and of course, it's great to see you as well, uh, James as well. Todd, thanks for coming along as well. That's
0: right. And uh, uh, comments in the corner tonight. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: But yeah, it was great to have you guys here, and uh, we'll no doubt see in the near future. And uh, if we yeah we do go to an event, and we'll we we'll catch up with you there, no doubt. You guys do events at all? Or any, uh, any sort
1: of? I suppose we could quickly plug the um, celebration of the, the celebration of motorsport and Shannons Classics on the Swan, which is coming up. Oh, on, of course, yeah. yeah. Uh, the nineteenth of September, Langley mm-hmm. Park. It's part yep. of Tiger West. Mm-hmm. It's a great day. Everyone should come down and have a look.
2: Yes definitely all right guys look thanks for joining us it's great to have you here and uh we'll see you soon thanks for having us no worries
0: talk and power your motorsport and motoring radio show now on 88.5 fm the valley comes alive
1: and podcasting across itunes and talkandpower.com.au